0: We've been uh, traveling through this series and the Sermon of the Mount. We're going to continue to do such uh, this morning. So, just by way of recap, um, we're looking at Jesus' ministry, primarily teaching on this manifesto of the kingdom ethics. As you look at the Sermon on the Mount as as it's been titled, chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of Matthew's gospel. What we see in the beginning of Jesus' life in Matthew, he's born into this world. Um, we, We pick up again when he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And then right after that, he begins his ministry. And the ministry that he begins is a ministry in which he announces the kingdom of God. He announces not just something people need to do or things they need to say. He announces that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you were an Israelite, a Hebrew person, man or woman or child at that moment, you would have heard something. Like that meant something to them because throughout their history, they had been longing for this Messiah to come and bring in this kingdom. And Jesus began to show signs of the kingdom, signs like healing. That those who were not able to walk were able to walk, and the blind were able to see, and those who were possessed by demons were set free. That, That people who were deemed as being unwhole or unclean were now whole and made clean. And then he called people to repent, meaning turn from their ways and then live into the ways of the kingdom that follows its king, which is namely Jesus Christ himself. Well, then as we started this Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus says, okay, so here's the happy life of the kingdom ethics, that those who are poor, who realize that they are spiritually indebted to God, that they have nothing in which they spiritually bring to the table of which God would merit favor from God, but God in his infinite grace bestows his grace upon them and his love and his mercy, that once we've received that, that there's something of the spirit that in our lives that makes us hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice, and we live that out. And the way that righteousness and justice is lived out, and when it's lived out, that we become light to a dark world or salt to a world that's decaying, and then we we live it out in righteousness. And the righteousness that Jesus began to talk about was not just doing more, but actually going deep. He began to talk about the heart of the matter, that it wasn't so much just don't commit adultery, but it was not having lust in your heart. It wasn't just staying away from murdering somebody, but watching where your anger goes, that it doesn't go to hate, which is like murder. And then after that, Jesus begins to get into chapter 6 and starts talking about the Father. In fact, all of chapter 6, we'll go over today and tomorrow, you just see Jesus talking about the Father left and right. In fact, he says over and over again, the Father sees you, the Father sees you, the Father sees you. When you pray, don't pray like that because the Father sees you. When you fast, don't fast fast like the hypocrites because the Father sees you. And he says, even when you pray, your father already knows what you need. Next week, he's gonna go, don't worry about what you eat or what you're gonna drink or what you're gonna wear. Your father knows already. And you see this beautiful picture of Jesus is trying to say, you are not only the people of God, but you are God's children. And that entered in through the life and death of Christ as we become one with him in this blessed union that we have that we get to experience and live out this life as God's children. And so last week we looked at the Lord's prayer, and looking at God as our Father, and now as our Father He's the one who gives us the daily bread in which we need, and as our Father He forgives our sins that we may forgive others, and as our Father He's the one protecting us in times of t- uh, temptation, that we see this beautiful picture. And then today we pick up in a somewhat a familiar passage, if you've been around Christianity, that Jesus begins to talk about not laying up your treasures in heaven. Now, before we can get in this so we can understand it, we, we got to step back and, and do a few things, right? And so here's what I mean. When I first became a Christian, I was about 22 years old, um, I'm 24 now, and, uh, no. <laughs> and when I first became a Christian, um, I thought that to be a Christian meant I had to get rid of all the things that I had fun with, right? Like somehow it's like, all right, you know what, I'm going to become a Christian. Life's over. And so, so what that meant for me was I got rid of all my CDs. Like we had CDs back then, and so I got rid of, I got rid of uh, Jay-Z and Biggie and Pac. Uh, I kept one of the Pacs because it was theological. He was asking a the theological question. He says, I wonder if heaven got a ghetto. And so I kept that one because that was deep. That was deep. And and then I had to, you know, I had to, I, you know, I got rid of all these CDs because I'm like, man, this stuff can't be such as poison in my heart. And then not only that, there was like, there was, you know, certain, I was one, I, I bought all these Jordans, right? And, uh, and then so I started giving away Jordans and stuff that I wish I never would have. And, and, then, and then, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to go to a Christian bookstore. And so I, this is no joke. So I went to a Christian bookstore and I, I'll start buying all the Christian stuff you can get. I got a shirt. I got a Christian witness wear. And, um, <laughs> And if you were a witness for it, go ahead. But for me, it was like, like this is, I don't know, 2004, 2005. So they had this shirt that was like the Lord's Gym. Some of y'all are like, uh-oh, no-oh, uh-uh, what is that? Right, you know you had it. And it was a picture of what they thought Jesus looked like working out. Like, so just like this yoke Jesus, right? It was like Jesus on CrossFit and steroids. But they replaced his the steroids with the spirit. You know how they do it. It's like, you know. Anyways, and so I did that. Even for a season, I stopped watching football because football, I had dominated so much of my time. I felt like it was distracting me from God, and I just wanted to separate because I wanted to make sure that I was focusing my whole life on God because God matters most, right? You guys agree with that? Right? Okay. Now, God matters and other things matter. You guys agree with that? Some people are like, yeah. What is he going to say, right? (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and I had this thought that basically God didn't care about everything else. They were just kind of there. If you had a job, it was there to make money. You give it to the church. You go to church on Sunday. You know, you do more spiritual things than you do non-spiritual things. And that, that's, that's what life was about, that God was going to blow everything up anyway. And that was just kind of it. He would take all the people who believed in him, and we'd float off in the heaven somewhere, and we'd be floating singing Chris Tomlin songs on and on. <laughs> Maybe a little Kurt Franklin. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, who's Kurt Franklin, right? And so, so that was it. However, when you read through the Bible, which we're doing right now from Genesis to Revelation, from start to finish, you see the Bible is not about God taking us from this world. That the Bible in itself is a long story of God's plan of redemption from creation all the way to restoration or from creation all the way to recreation, that what God created that he said was good, though tainted by sin, it's still good. And that he cares so much about a material world in which we live in, that he himself, in order to redeem us, not out of this world, but to actually redeem us for the way the world is supposed to be. When his reign is fully here, when the kingdom of God is not just initially established through the work of Christ, but fully established through the ministry of Christ and his kingdom is here that when you begin to see that, that God so cares about the flesh, he puts on flesh, enters in this world, dies on the cross for our sins, is raised. And when he's raised from the dead, he keeps that flesh. He doesn't give it back. To say he wants us and cares about us. And so there's not this, what we learn, um, this unnecessary divide that we call uh, secular and then sacred. So if you and I were just, just sitting at a table, drinking a cup of coffee, or, or drinking something else. And, and, um, and I begin to ask you, hey, what, what are the spiritual things that we can do as a Christian? You'd probably say, you know, we, we should pray, we should read, we should do affordable Christmas now that you just guilted us on that. Like, we should do these spiritual things. Okay, what are the secular things? And you'd probably say, uh, everything else. And it's almost like, if you're going to be godly, here are the things you do. And if you're gonna just kinda just be neutral at best, then do everything else. That makes no sense of life because everything else is what we do for all of our life. And so the Bible does not communicate this unnecessarily sacred, secular divide. In fact, no Hebrew man or woman would have ever thought that because they believed that God cared about the world. That was their narrative. They were their story is that they themselves were created out of the dust in which God created that they believed that God was going to allow the lion to lay with the lamb, that they believed in the prophets when they talked about this day when the kingdom of God would be ushered in and good news would be preached to the poor. These were all tangible things. But oftentimes when we think of quote unquote heaven, we think of some otherworldly world when really heaven is when God will come himself and bring the things and the ways of heaven to this earth. Amen? Now, when we understand that, we come to this text now with an understanding of Jesus not just saying do more spiritual things um, and less non-spiritual things. That when he talks about possessions, that this message is not so much about possessions you have, but where are your affections. And So if you can think it this way, not so much about possessions, but way more affections and treasures. Where's your eye and where's your heart ultimately wrapped up in the love of the Father? So join with me here, verse 19, Jesus' words do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He he starts, don't, don't lay up treasures on earth. Now, when he says that, he's not saying earthly things don't matter, remember? He so loved the world, he put on flesh, he came into this earth. He's not saying that if you have provision for yourself, that's a bad thing. He's not saying that if you have some sort of plan to take care of your kids in the future, that's a bad thing. In fact, when you read through scriptures, Most of that is looked at being prudent, wise, and so forth. He's saying, be careful that your affections, your desires are not rooted in the things in which you can make, which you can earn, the relationships in which you have, or the relationships that you wish you had. Meaning the things that you can possess, those things are to be good things that we can use that roll up into praise and worship towards God, but they are not to be worshiped in and themselves. That they will not bring security, they will not bring satisfaction. They will not bring a deep sense of comfort. The scary thing is it's temporary. So they, they do bring it a little bit, but it's not lasting. And he says, here's what he, he, he uses some, some, some things here that would have made sense of them. He goes, you know what they're like? They're like moth when they come in and they eat all your clothes away. Or it's like rust. And the thing you have is can't be used anymore. Or it's like if a thief came in and they stole it it could be gone. So if you've lived in Tempe for some time and you've ridden a bike, you've had it stolen. And so you, 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 you understand at some level what it's like to have something stolen. And that, do you know that, that feeling you get when you're like, dang, we just got robbed, right? Like, that's the worst feeling in the world. So when I was in college, we had, we had a football game. We're playing and we're playing uh, Cal Berkeley, not UCLA, not the team we beat last night. Uh, we, were playing, we were playing Cal Berkeley, and it was the middle of the day, and the game was over, and it was probably 5 o'clock, so the sun was still up. We came back to our house, four of us lived in this house together, and our TV was in the driveway. And I'm like, that's interesting. We walked in the house, and we had been robbed. And I'm like, they knew that we, they, whoever robbed us knew that we were playing. There was no, they knew we were going to be gone. Who gets robbed in the middle of the day like that? I was like, they were probably watching the game like, there he is right there, right? And, and stealing all of our stuff. All of our stuff. I mean, like, random stuff, too. Like, they, they stole, like, I had this box with a bunch of uh, stuff that my uncle had given me that, that taught me football. I stole all that. They stole picture frames and then left the pictures. My friend's like, why would they steal your pictures? I'm like, everybody buys pictures with random people they don't know in the frame, like right? you know? But they, they, it, was just, it was just that feeling of, like, man, somebody's been in my room. Like, what else did they steal? And over the next week, you kept realizing all of these things that I had, they're gone. And you can't get those things back, Right. Why would you steal somebody's high school football jersey? If you're out there, give it back, right? And so we know what it's like for something to be there and to be gone and we can't get it back. Jesus is saying it's not that those things are bad. They're used for something else. The possessions and things we have only become dangerous because they have the tendency to draw our affections and our attention away from the one that is lasting, that is satisfying, that is eternal, that is good, that is beautiful, and that is for us. That these things that he's talking about are things that we have to work in order to achieve to get, but the true treasure is actually not what we earn to achieve to get that, we could, that could be taken away, but that which we receive by God's grace, which could never be taken away. And he's saying to those things, set your mind and your affections on, And then when you have that perspective, you'll be able to see everything else in its rightful place. Jesus says it this way, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Not really. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also. He's supposed to say be, but he didn't. He didn't know on that one, right? That there's, there is the saying, where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow it. And if your treasure are in good things that we make primary or main things, then your heart will follow it. And you'll find yourself being heartbroken over relationship that ended too early or extended too long or never happened. You will find yourself being heartbroken over finances that you have too much or too little. I don't know too many people. I've never met anyone who's like, I just got too much, Ricardo. It's just, I got to say, Lord... Stop it, right? <laughs> but there's, there, we will find ourselves being heartbroken over these things because they were never built for us to lay our life on. They were never built or made or designed for us to have security in them. But God himself says that we were built. We were created in such a way that when we come to him, we can lay our entire life on him. We can lay every thought, every desire, every emotion, every doubt, Every sin upon him. And he says, when you do that and you make that your treasure, that, that's where your heart is. And your heart becomes one that follows that that, that, that we follow this one who has given himself to us. And so this is not necessarily the upper story, lower story, uh, this is secular or sacred, this is secular. This is God saying, possessions and stuff are tricky because they could actually tempt us to believe that they are ultimately our God. But he says, no, 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 redirect yourself and realize and remember and reorient around the fact that God is your God. He's your father. He's loving you through his son, Jesus, and making that love known for you through the power of his spirit. And when you get that, set your treasure there and set your heart there that you may pursue that, which you will never lose. Amen? Well, Jesus switches metaphors here. I'm talking about the heart, which is the center of being, to talking about the eye. Verse 22, the eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So when I was uh, about, I don't know, 18, 19, 17, I was in high school. We were down in Pasadena. It was like the cool thing to do is go downtown Pasadena. A lot of people used to hang out there. And I was walking backwards across the street talking to my buddy, just doing one of these numbers, we're walking this way, walking backwards. And then I did to this day, probably one more embarrassing thing. I ran into a blind man, knocked him over, knocked the stick out of his hand. It was in the middle of the street. And then, you know, we're trying to help him up. And um, no, ironically, he was actually trying to help me up. And, and the light was turning green and it was just bad, right? And I, I do remember it because I felt so bad. And he was like, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, are you okay? He goes, yeah, let's, let's hurry up, the light's green. I'm like, how do you know that, <laughs> right? man was so gracious. The the point being is I should have never been walking backwards. The irony is the man who was blind had more insight than the one who could see. And what, what Jesus is saying here is if your eye is good, then everything else will flow from that. If your eye is exactly where it needs to be. Now he's not talking biology here. He's talking here your heart. It's just another, it's, it's, it's synonymous with your eyes and your heart. It's saying, whatever you give yourself to, if it's good, namely in, in the density of who God is, then there's more than enough there and your whole life will follow. But if you don't, then it will be dark. And how dark is that darkness? Like how dark is that darkness? Like this is, Jesus says the same thing when he says that anybody who puts their hand in the plow and looks to the right or the left is not fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus, as he often does is, is in, that, in that particular sense, is using agrarian language. He's talking about farming, that if, that if I'm plowing, I gotta keep everything in front of me because if I go to the right or to the left, I just ruin it. And he goes, no, no, your eyes have to be fixed on the author and perfecter of your faith, who is the Lord. And when your, your eyes are fixed upon him and what he's done for you, that you're receiving the grace and responding to that grace, it's transforming you, then your whole life is going towards an end and response motivated by the light. But if you get off, your host. And many of us, we have a problem with this because we have spiritual ADD. We let everything distract us. We let good things become the main things and we chase those things, thinking and seemingly doing them in the name of Jesus, yet we've lost our focus on Christ altogether. Like there's a way that we can do the things of God without having our eyes on God, which ultimately becomes about us. Jesus is trying to give us a picture here that when your eyes are good, the rest of your, your, your body is good. At it. it follows that. Your life follows that. When your life is centered around Christ. And here's what he's saying here, guys. And, I, and I've said this before, but i got to say it again because I know a good, well-intended Christian men and women, and I've probably said it myself, we've done the whole thing where here's the list, God first and his family and all that. Like, get him off the list, right? He's not first. He's central. He's at the, vet, the, the center, he is everything. And so your finances flow from that. The way that you care and steward your resources flow from that. Your relationships flow from that. Sexuality flows from that. Every single thing that we do flows from our whole lives being fully rested upon the grace and mercy which has been extended to us by our Father through the work of his Son Jesus and which we experience by the Holy Spirit. That means our whole life, like, all of life, truly being centered around the life and love that we have from God. And that life and love begins to dictate our lives because our eyes are right and they're good and they're healthy because of not our eyes, but the object of which our affection is upon. And when our affections are upon the Lord, he's the one who's doing the work in and through us by his love. Paul says it this way, it's the love of God that compels us. For we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. And the one who died, he died so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who at infinite cost to himself died and he rose again. Like this beautiful picture that he gives us. Let me tell you, either your eyes are on them or they're off of them. There's no in between. You are either with God or you are not with God. You are in his kingdom or you're not in his kingdom. You are a child or you're not. And and Jesus speaks these harsh words, but true words throughout the sermon and throughout the Sermon of the Mount. But no point in this is Jesus inviting us into some Disneyland Christianity. He's inviting us into his mission and he promises that it's good and it's right and it's true and it's beautiful. The problem is we believe the lie of the things of this world, that we see the world as it is, and we're comfortable in it. And Jesus says, I actually see the world that it will be and that it ought to be, and those who are with me will ultimately participate in that life. We don't take away from this world, but we begin to say, what are the things of heaven that need to bleed into this world? In fact, Jesus says, we pray your kingdom come in this world as it is in heaven your kingdom come, and my walk with you as it is in heaven, and our life of our church as our walk with you as it is in heaven. But there's no way that we're, we're in or um, one foot in or one foot out. Jesus says, no, it, that, it doesn't work like that. But here's what he says here, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, that, that word money there is a transliteration, meaning the word there is, is, is mammon, which means wealth and possession. So it's more than just money. It's the things that bring you wealth. It's relationships. It's education, et It's all it's, it's the things in which we have. Um, that when you begin to look at Jesus' words, majority of his words are towards the rich. Here's the problem. We all know rich people, right? But none of us look in the mirror and think that that's the person who Jesus is talking to. But you know what? He is. He is. That, that we always have, we have an idea of what rich will be. <laughs> like that, now that person, they're rich. And many of us in this room, we have an education. So oh, I got to play off loans, man. I got this master's. It's like, man, you got a master's? Yeah, you are, well, you are poor. You're like one of the poorest people I know, right? Just even the education that we have. But Jesus says these things because it is those things, the comfort that distracts us. Now, now I, I know most of us in this room or a lot of us in this room, um, I don't think our issue is that we want to just be rich and famous. Ours is comfort. If we could just be comfortable. But here's, here's the thing. You're never comfortable. It's like sleeping on the pillow, and it gets hot. And you turn it over. Like, this is it. And you go, no, know, this is it, right? <laughs> and then you wake up, and you turn him in for more, Sean. It just so happens to be, are you not sleeping at night? Does your pillow, would you like the pillow to be cooler on both sides? (laughs) Right? That's it. And you go on to the, the next and the next and the next. It's never it. You were not made to be satisfied by the things of this world. But you were made to be satisfied in the work and through the work of God through Christ Jesus. And everything else is a lame counterfeit. And Jesus says, if you eat, either you're going to serve and follow him in that kingdom, or you're not. You can't have it both ways. Our problem is, we are trying to fit the life we think we want with the, God, with the life that God wants for us. And God says, if you try to do that, you will get neither. You'll get neither. Later, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I believe, some of the harshest words in Scripture. He says in that day, there are gonna be people and they're gonna come to me and they're gonna say, Lord. And he's talking about the day of judgment. They're gonna say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal people in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And Jesus is gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. If that doesn't like scare you just a little bit, right? When's the last time you prophesied, cast out a demon or healed anybody, right? right? We're like, didn't we do the affordable Christmas? No, he, probably, he cast out a demon and he didn't even get in. Oh, right? And the point there is not Jesus' point of saying, you can't do enough. It's that you trusted in those things instead of trusted in him. The, the, the point that Jesus is making here, it's not about what you have. It's about your affections. Are your affections upon God? Are your affections rooted in his love for you? Are your affections rooted in the fact that he loved you so much that he would give his son? Are your affections and your life and your ministry, how you live your life, it, is it drawn from what the praise of people or is it ultimately drawn from the approval that you have from God? Are you find yourself religiously trying to work yourself to a point where God would accept you or do you find yourself operating out of grace knowing that you're already accepted and loved in Christ Jesus? Are you trying to find the treasure or do you realize the treasure has already found you? That God himself, ultimately his glory, his passion, his affections are set upon us. And to the degree that we understand that, to the degree that we make him our treasure and we give all of our life to him. Amen? And so someone's going to say, give me something practical. And I will give you one thing that's practical. When Jesus says, hear your eye, you got to think about there is um, some work that needs to be done. To make ourselves in response to his grace, our affections grow for him. Because here's the reality. These affections that we have, these desires, they're, they're God-given. But in a world that's tainted by sin, it's all jacked up. You know that? Like sin, what's what sin? The sin makes the world backwards. And so we live the world backwards. We see that in Romans chapter 1. Uh, Paul says this, is that we've traded the worship of the creator, and instead, now we worship the creation. Instead of worshiping that which we cannot see, but we will see one day, we only worship that which we can see, taste, and touch. And so we live backwards that way. And Paul says, from there, everything flows from there. And, and the rest of Romans, which is a lot, um, we spent three years talking about it, flows from Romans chapter one, is that we're now worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so it's backwards. And when Jesus comes in, he just doesn't twist it back. He brings in a kingdom, which is upside down. But he says, if you want to get ahead, then get in the back. If you want to be on top, then start from the bottom. No Drake reference. That, that ultimately, that if you want to make a name for yourself in this life, go ahead and do it and you'll, you'll lose it in the next. But if you want to have a name that is written in the book for all eternity, and that is going to be well known by the one who really matters, then lose your life in this life and gain his. When we have that understanding of the kingdom, the practical part is, what are the things that you do that raise your affections for that truth? What are, the, what are the things in which you tangibly give yourself to that remind you not of yourself, but about your God and your neighbor? What are the things that you do putting yourself in a position that you can only live a life if the Spirit of the Lord would actually guide you to live it? Many of us in our Christian walk, we're too daggum comfortable. Like we're comfortable. Like, we love being comfortable. Like, if we cut the AC off for 45 minutes, you will find another church. (laughs) It's true. And, like, nowhere is Jesus saying, seek comfort. He actually says, I'll send you to comforter. Just get to work. So what are the things that you do that raise your affections for Jesus? And then some of the things we need to stop. Like, there's some things we just need to stop doing. There is a book that I read by Henry Cloud a few years ago. It's called Necessary Endings. And it talks about in businesses and relationships and so forth. There's certain relationships and certain things that need to end in order for you to grow. And he uses this metaphor of pruning, that pruning is something that is a process that has to happen in order for the plant or the bush or the tree to grow. There's some things in your life that you got to cut out. There are some people in your life, probably people, that you got to go, I just can't. I can't live out my treasure in God with you. Sometimes that's really, really hard to do. There, there are practices, there are habits that you are forming that are ultimately taking your eyes and putting them somewhere else and not on God, not on your treasure, and therefore your heart and your eyes aren't good. So repentance looks like um, not so much just going, I'm going to stop under my willpower, but I'm, by God's grace, is going to see what he's done for me, that he's my treasure, and responding to him being my treasure, now I make him my treasure, and the rest of my body will follow where my eyes are fixed. So the practical thing is, run to Jesus. <laughs> And do the things that remind you of his love for you. Amen? Let's pray. God, we give you honor, praise, and we thank you for your word that it does not return void. Lord, you bring an overwhelming amount of conviction and you backfill it with your spirit. And you guide us through your grace. And you cover us with your mercy. And you warm us, Lord, with your words. And you forgive us with your son. And, God, you sustain us, Lord, with your beauty. And so, God, we pray, Lord, as you are calling us, Lord, to live out this kingdom ethic, that we would reorient our entire lives around your son, around your love as our father, and that empowered by your spirit. God, that the life of this church and the ministry of this church will be centered around God and the things of God. That we look at the material things of this world, Lord, and realize what they are. Blessings and a means, Lord, to bring glory to you. But never to satisfy, never to heal, never to bring security. For those things are found supremely and deeply in you. God, we thank you. God, we praise you. We lift up your name in Christ's name. Amen.